Lone Star 187 most definitely contains elements that are not suitable for some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Unit heading after that, the service tax and seat in a vehicle. Go ahead and reduce but continue, reduce but continue at one point. Case file 47, the Dallas nightclub murders. Okay, hey, we're back. We're back. I'm Carrie. I'm Brittany. And we are Lone Star 187. Okay, so. Case aware. Do we have any, um, do we have any business to attend to before we start? Um, I don't Any podcast or new business? So, I don't think so. Okay, so we're just going to go right in. Are you going to ask me where we are? Where are we going? We're not going very far. Where are we going? Dallas, Texas. Dallas? Yes. Like, this... are we going to, like, bougie Dallas? Are we going to the hood? Are We're we going, going to, to um, 635 in Midway. Okay. Yes, to all of the above. A little bit of everything. A little bit of everything in that section. Um, and again, it's summer. Summer. So what is the date? The date is June 29th, 1984. So I have to enter it into my time machine. Right. And I just graduated high school. So I'm partying my ass off. I wasn't even born yet. Shut up. <laughs> so it's a Friday night, Dallas, Texas, and we're in a bar called Ioni's. It's a restaurant bar. It's a very private bar. You have to have a membership to get in. Oh, man. So it's like a, it's Italian. So it's like just how you imagine kind of dark and it has a dance floor and a stage and like a U-shaped bar. So you've got people sitting on bar stools and they're like having a good time. It's a Friday night. Everybody's chill. Is this club still around? No, it's not. I Googled the location, and I think now there's an in and out there. If I understood the map, if the map was correct, which it looked like it was right at the corner of Midway and the 635 Access Road. Okay. There is a man in there by the name of, and I'm going to butcher it, but I'm just going to go with it. Um, he's from Morocco, so his name is Abdelkrim Belakhab. <laughs> We're just going to call him... Abe. Abdelkrim. The crim. The crim. The crim. The crim. Because he's the criminal. He's the criminal. Yes. That then I'll have to stumble over my words the rest of the okay. podcast episode. He's the crim. Also, I will say that this story came as a suggestion from a listener, uh, Christina. Okay. I used to work with her at Match, Thank so you. she suggested it, and I've seen him. I've seen him before and thought about covering it because uh, he's on Murderpedia. Okay. Because um, the amount of people that he shot. That he killed. I think I just gave the shit away. He decrimmed. He decrimmed. So this guy, let's talk a little bit about him. He was a citizen, um, an illegal alien here for several years. Um, he drifted from one low job, low paying job to another. He was a, a narcissist and he blamed his problems on it. Everybody but himself. Um, he was married to, he married a woman named Helen O'Brien in May of eight. May of 1983. Illegally? Well, I think he married her and then shortly after, well, he did marry her and then he petitioned for citizenship the next month. Why did they approve a marriage certificate for him if he was Oh, there's so many things about this guy. Wait, wait. It is... That's just crazy to me. Why would you give... I I remember whenever, whenever Russell and I got married and we had to fill out the information and it was like, are y'all blood relatives? Like, mm. all these things, and we had to show a copy of our brochure. We had to show all this information to get the marriage certificate. So I'm amazed that this person was able to get married and be illegal. <clears throat> Maybe the laws weren't where they were. Well, this was 1984. Oh, fact. So that was quite a bit. It was kind of a long time ago. Yeah, 36 years, because I'll be 30, almost 37 years. Yeah. Okay. So, but he became a resident alien in January. So I guess everything was good with that. And at the time of this event, he and his wife, Helen, were separated and had been for some time. So he, he's in there and he's dancing with one of the ladies at the club and they were dancing one minute. The next minute there was arguing. Cheater, cheater. He's cheating. And then there's a couple of different versions of this. Uh, Some witnesses say that 
he he blew her a kiss and then walked away. And some witnesses say that she blew him a kiss and he walked away. So somebody blew somebody a kiss and these two that were arguing. And he walks outside. He comes back in with a nine millimeter pistol, semi-automatic pistol, and starts shooting. He shot her and he shot several other people. And then he leaves again and goes back and reloads his gun and comes back in Jesus. and keeps shooting. So ultimately he shot six people. He shot seven people. Um, five of which died at the scene. One died on the way to the hospital and one of them actually survived. So we have six victims, four women and two men. They were just having, trying to have a good Friday night. They were just out having fun. It was probably, it probably started as a happy hour because this, this happened at like midnight. So like the happy hour went into the evening and they were having a good time. Mm-hmm. And like I said, there was a dance floor. So, and this was a very private club. I think they said there were only like 20 something people in there. So it's not like it was this crowded mm-hmm. place. So the first, one of the first officers that arrived on the scene said, and this is in quotes, it looked like a meat market in there. Oh my God. One of the other spokesmen for the police department said that it was the worst multiple killing in the city's history. And again, I think this was 1984. So I, I don't think we can say that today because we've had so many mass shootings, mm-hmm. un- unfortunately, that... We've, we've had some that have more victims, but mm-hmm. at the time, this was, like, this gained national yeah. news. And so most of the people, whenever he started shooting, were sitting. So the bar had, it was a U-shaped bar, so there were people, like, all around it. Mm-hmm. And so everybody that he shot were, like, at the bar. So he was just, like, shoot, 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 looked around, shoot, shoot, shoot. Uh, one guy said as soon as he heard the first shot, he immediately hit the floor and covered himself with a chair. And, and he said people just started hitting the deck, like just throwing themselves on the floor so they could potentially not get shot. The first five shots were at point blank range. Mm. The final two were from, were shot from a distance across the open dance floor. And one of the witnesses said he must've been one hell of a shot cause he didn't miss. Uh, so the, the, the gunman finally left the club. And as soon as he did, a few people jumped up and ran toward the rear, uh, the back of the club to get out. Oh, there were about 25 people in there when the shooting happened. One of the detectives said, you know, he's lived here all of his life and this is the worst thing he's ever seen. So the gunman leaves the scene in a white Chevrolet station wagon. This is how you know what's old because, you know, station wagons are awesome. But we had to have a, a, a hatchback in the back, you know, to put all his right. ammunition in. Exactly. But do you think they were all wearing members only jackets? No, no. This This club was hate you sometimes i thought you were being serious and then i had a flash of the beige members only jacket with the sleeves rolled up because you know you had to roll up the sleeves you cracked yourself up with that one didn't you i was i in my head i heard it come across like as the next thing to say and i was like don't let my face show it don't let my face show it yes like the ticker at the bottom yes it was like breaking news ticker Maybe he didn't get one of those jackets. Maybe that's why he was pissed. No, we'll find out why he was pissed later. He got in station wagon. Uh, they found it 10 miles away. He had hidden. He, he had hidden. Oh, my God. He hidden it. He hit a telephone pole or some kind of, he hit something. There was some kind of traffic altercation. So he got out and started walking, and he went to a friend's house, Mohammed Benali, who was a friend and also a chef in the, at a North Dallas restaurant. He gets to his friend Muhammad's house. I don't know because I read a couple of different things. There was a girl there named Ann Abus. Now, I don't know if it was Muhammad's girlfriend or if it was DeCrim's girlfriend. <laughs> I sure did call him DeCrim and I'm going to keep. Sure. He's um, a criminal. It was one of their girlfriends because she was there. Um, she said they were sitting there watching TV and she said this guy rang the doorbell and Muhammad opened the door. She said, I heard a ruckus. Not a ruckus. In Dallas. Could you describe the ruckus? Could you describe the ruckus? That's what I thought as soon as I typed that out. Breakfast club. She said she went over and she saw Muhammad holding a gun. So I guess Dakrim gave Muhammad the gun. She said, I had no idea what was going on. Um, She said the two men were speaking Arabic and they went into a back room for about an hour. And she went in there to like just to find out what was going on. And he said, "Um, just give me a little more time. Muhammad said that. Muhammad said that to Anna. Annie. But she didn't know who Dikrim was at the time? I think she knew of him, but so I'm guessing that Muhammad was probably her boyfriend. 
Um, but she just went in to check, you know, because they did have, yeah, she well, saw the gun and she's like, what's going on? That's and females, it right? had been a while. And so a few minutes later, Muhammad came out and called the police. And he told her, he looked at her and said, my friend just told me he shot some people in the bar. Mm. So the cops came and arrested him. Wow. And that happened, the, that was like three hours from the time the shootings happened to this time. It was about three hours. So well, they had him in custody pretty to quickly. Muhammad for doing the right thing. Yes. Good job, Muhammad. I mean, I understand being a good friend, but he shot six people. So. Yeah. yeah. Killed them dead for yeah. no reason. And right now it doesn't tell us part of their conversation, but later on you'll find out some of the things that Dakrim said to Muhammad. Mm-hmm. That probably is the reason why he decided to call the police. Okay, so the the suspect had several aliases. He had one the name, the criminal, <laughs> the dumbass, Denali, the piece of shit, <laughs> the I'm gonna die in jail. <laughs> he had one name that he put on the club membership application because this was a private club. You had to have a membership jacket. So this one was this is what was on his jacket. It said the crim. <laughs> I and it was it was DA oh, you did the way you just flowed right through it I was like hold on DA apostrophe crim C R I M no K R I M crim so he had one on his club membership application another one he introduced himself to the people that were in the club and then a third one that was on his uh vehicle registration so why do you have so many names what you trying to hide to crim so they took him into custody without any incidents he was at that time he was charged with one count of investigation murder and held on five hundred thousand dollar bond. One count of investigative investigation murder. That's what that's what it said. I've yep. never heard that before. Me either. But this was the early eighties, so true. So they they recovered the nine millimeter automatic pistol. They're interviewing the club manager. His name is Jarrell Todd, and he was like, and this was a, and so they ask him, you know, are you going to be open? Are you going to close the club? And he was like, yeah, what else can I do? It's Friday night. I don't want to close. I don't, I don't know what to do. And I don't think it's really fair to ask him that because everything had just happened. Happened. So he made it sound like they, wasn't gonna, they weren't going to shut the club down. They were just going to like get everything cleaned up and then open right away, not have any downtime, which doesn't sound very respectful. I mean, it does it, but at the same time, it's a business. It is their means of income. You're right. You know? And, right. I mean, I know. I mean, it just struck me as weird. It is kind of weird why they would ask that question. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> but they didn't open it. They, they closed it. They cleaned everything up um, and they kept it closed for a few days. Not by not because not of necessity, but by choice for respect for the, the victims mm-hmm. and their family. Sure. So well, and can you imagine all the damage that was done? Not just from the people being like the victims being shot and like all of there, but like broken glass and chipped wood and bullet holes and mm-hmm. all of that. So, so traumatic. What they found out is this guy had just came in on Wednesday, bought a membership. So he was there Wednesday night filling out the membership. He went in Thursday and then in Friday. So that was only his third time to be in that club. So his jacket wasn't ready either. His, you know, they were still putting the engraving. They were still embroidering the crim on there. So maybe he had a, maybe you get like a, like a pre-jacket jacket. Jacket. Yeah. It's the jacket before the jacket. Right. Remember those old like, jackets that were that material that like you couldn't rip but it looked like paper? <laughs> I was gonna say it reminds like I envision like those like mesh jerseys you would oh, wear like in gym. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that you would when wear you see before? pictures of him, he looks like the kind of guy that would wear a fish a, a netting, a okay. net shirt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For real. And every most of the victims, I think it was Five of the six victims were regulars at the club. So the owner, the manager knew all of them. So uh, the the regulars were, um, their jobs were one guy was a lawyer, one person was a real estate agent, an automobile dealer. So these were like, they called it posh. They, they called it posh nightclub in a lot of the articles that I read. And all of this came from newspapers.com. I got a little bit of it off of Murderpedia, mm-hmm. but most of it was from the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, the Austin paper, and a few others, but primarily from the Fort Worth Star-Telegram well, since it, it happened make, in Dallas. It would sound like whoever was a member there had to be somewhat wealthy, Yeah, you know, to be able to pay this extra fee to be part of a club, mm-hmm. and it'd be like a nightclub, right? So you'd want to go, all those jobs sound like jobs that, you know, are high stress jobs, you need a place to go 
or not a lot of the crowd and you don't want people seeing you you know like lawyers don't want to be seen real estate people don't want to be seen right you know so that makes perfect sense that that would be the crowd uh in one of the articles i read they did mention something like that one of the guys that uh, they said like it wasn't uncommon to see like mercedes-benz and rolls royces in the parking lot uh, and that because they were very career driven, they didn't have a lot of downtime. And any time that they had to themselves, they would go there because they were also still networking, you know, because if you've got car dealerships or people that sell cars and people that work on cars and then people that sell houses, like I can see how they would all mm-hmm. help each other out. Oh, right. well, I just moved. I need to buy a house and I need to buy a car. And, oh, I hit my boyfriend, so I need an attorney, you know. I just got hit.com. <laughs> that commercial. And so this club had been around for 12 years, but they just moved to this location like 18 months prior. Okay. So I don't know where it was located before, but it this was a fairly new location. Um, but they never had any troubles. They said not even so much as a fight. So they weren't used to Because that just wasn't like the crowd. Mm-hmm. It was very middle to upper class people who went. And they're going there to get away from all that. Exactly. So they can just, like you said, have some downtime from a stressful job, stressful day, just have a couple drinks, unwind. So I'm going to name off the names of the victims that kind of talk about them a little bit. And then I'll get back into the, the, the details of everything that happens thereafter. So the girl that he was talking to that pissed him off, her name was Marcel Ford. Uh, at the time, she was 35. They said she was shot in the chest and the chin. And she was a secretary for Dallas Demolition Incorporated. Very cool. Yes. They said she was very quiet. She loved to read books. She liked bird watching, rock collecting, and archaeology. She graduated from Sunset High School in Dallas and served in the Air Force for four years. Wow. What an interesting person, right? Yeah, like all-around person. Absolutely. Uh, The next one is another woman, Janice Arbuckle-Smith. She was 46. She was shot in the head. Mm. And she was a very good, uh, very, very prominent real estate. She did um, multi-million deals. Mm. So it didn't say a whole lot about her besides that, just that she won lots of awards and was always like, she sold like the big houses probably in North uh, um, Highland Park and Mm. stuff like that. Uh, This next one, her name is uh, Legia Kozlowski. She was also shot in the head and she had just moved here from, uh, she had moved to Irving from Chicago. So she hadn't been here for very long. Mm -hmm. Um, And then one of the men, Frank, Frank Rance Parker, 49, he was shot four times on the left side and he was a retired, um, he was a former owner of a restaurant. And then the fifth, this is the sixth person, right? Yeah. Joseph John Manassi, he was 37. He was also shot in the face. He was the co-owner of European Connection, and I know I've seen that sign even today, which is an auto parts sales and service place for foreign cars. So that's our victim list. There was another guy. His name is John McNeil. He was shot, but he survived. So he's probably one of the people that were away from the bar, like at Mm -hmm. the dance floor or the stage, Mm -hmm. Um, but he survived. He had surgery, and, and so he's good. I mean, I didn't really find out have some information about him after this all went down, but not a whole lot. Well, I just really hope that they were all feeling really good at the bar and didn't feel much pain. Uh, the ones that were shot at point blank that they said that like it was, they were there, then they were gone. There was no, like they said, five people died at the scene. Only one of them was clinging to life on the way to the hospital. And I don't know which one that is. I would guess the other person that was not at the bar. So I feel like if you're at the bar and he's right there, you're especially the ones that were shot in the head you're you're gone immediately but i agree i hope the the ones that didn't get it like that didn't have to suffer too much early july we're starting to hear stuff about police interviewing the witnesses and so they interview the his friend muhammad and he says that his friend akrim told him that he needed to kill Mm. that's why i called the cops you just gave me the chills yeah He said he told me he had intended to kill several acquaintance, acquaintances because he was depressed and he felt like his life was over. He told me he was de- determined to kill. He was determined to go out and kill. So it didn't matter. It was going to happen. Yeah. Unfortunately, the Marcel girl set it off, but it sounds like he had a plan to do it regardless. Maybe he was just waiting for someone to give him a reason. Maybe. 
And maybe whatever she did or didn't do wasn't reason enough for him at the moment. Maybe. It's still mm-hmm. bullshit, but... Absolutely. Um, so police said they found a receipt from a Dallas pawn shop that showed DeCrim bought this 9mm Smith & Wesson six months before he was a legal... Before he was a legal, a legal, not illegal, a resident alien, which that's against the law. Mm-hmm. But dealers aren't required to have any proof of their the the alien status, right? So they fill an out they fill out paperwork, and if it says, "Are you illegal?" and they say no, well, it's not up to the dealer to prove that out, right? So if the person lies, the dealer's going to sell them the gun. And this was in the eighties, right? Well, um, so he paid four hundred. $44.94 for the gun and a box of 50 shells. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they currently have still only charged him for murder for one count, which is punishable by a maximum of life in prison. Um, Assistant DA Norman Kinney said that the prosecutors are going to search for a way to charge him with capital murder. This is where it gets tricky. Um, he said the statute covers everything that covers what he did but it's unique because the law was different. And and I don't want to give out too much, but this, what happened here did cause the, the capital murder requirements to change mm-hmm. for the record. Um, let's see. Yeah, because, I mean, he killed five people. He, he killed six he people. He killed six people. He shot seven, but he killed six. So he's only getting one count? So far. And they're even it's worried not like that they, that's not going to stick. It's not even like they can't prove that right people you know i mean right but the way the okay it's it's because of this to be charged with capital murder the, the defendant must also be accused of committing robbery rape or kidnapping during the murder or the killing of a police officer prison guard or firefighter firefighter they charge him with murder but they're trying to charge him with capital murder because with capital murder there's also the death penalty Correct. so they want him the prosecutors want him to get the death penalty okay so they want to charge him with capital murder, but it when you it read that sentence, it doesn't apply. But doesn't um, so okay, never mind. I think I know what you're gonna say. You are you saying that because he shot more than one person? No, I was gonna say that I thought another requirement of capital punishment was um, the degree or the manner in which the person was. Killed. It's changed drastically. So that must be. It was changed later to that. Because that's pretty much, you saw how short that sentence is, and mm-hmm. I actually captured a screenshot of what it is now, and there's a lot more things. Okay, okay. So because of things like this, it's constantly evolving. So okay. it's changed. But so this time in 84, that was in order to be charged with capital punishment. Capital murder. Capital murder, I'm sorry. You had to have done one of those things along with killing Yes, okay. yes, which and is he, bullshit. He fortunately, unfortunately didn't do that. Right. You know, I mean, yeah. I'm glad nobody was raped or nobody was, uh, the law was shot, but a robbery. I mean, I wish robbery at least at the minimum. He robbed some people of their lives. I mean, that should Amen. count for something. Good one. You got it. That's what I would have said if I'd have been his attorney. Girl, I mean, his prosecutor. You need to be an attorney. Let me get you. Uh, DeCrim's corn, corn? Cornhole. <laughs> did you say watch a cornhole, buddy? No, you did. I mean, don't watch your cornhole. I want whatever bad's going to happen to you to happen to you. Yeah. I don't feel bad for you. Mm-mm. He was definitely a diva, though. Wait till you hear. Okay. So his court-appointed attorney said, he told the reporters, I know what avenue I'm going to take to defend my client, but I'm not going to tell you how. Although I can I can tell you that there will be a lot of interesting revelations. All right, then. And the investigators did say that they expect to file five more murder charges and one attempted murder for the guy that didn't die. Um, and they were also going to do a mental evaluation on him because they felt like we need to do something, right? Clearly. Okay. I mean, not just that he shot six people, seven people. Right. Not just that he shot seven people, but the fact that he told his friend that he needs to kill. Mm-hmm. Because he was depressed and felt like his life was over. So because I'm depressed and my life's over, I'm just going to take a lot of people with me. And this, let's make all of their families life depressed and lonely because mm-hmm. that seems fair yeah so twisted okay so they finally a couple days later they did give him they did do five charges of murder and one attempted murder and the bond was set at two hundred fifty thousand for each count so he's not Damn. getting out anytime soon um a lot of now his court uh, court appointed attorney what was his name i don't remember 
I have it somewhere. He said he's going to consider, he's considering going with the insanity defense. But of course the, the DA is like, yeah, I don't think that's going to work, that's but good seems, luck. It seems like that's like the default. It does seem like the default. You know, and yeah. which is really sad because people will lie about being insane when it's a true disease, but it's, it's almost like when they, when it's not obvious, like Andrea Yates, right? Like that was a mental issue. That was obvious. It was, it was very insanity, obvious. Right? Boy, who are you trying to dekid? I mean, <laughs> who are you trying to dekid to cram? <laughs> Get your da-da-da shit together. So a few days later, the Ioni's restaurant reopens. They called it the first happy hour since the shootings. And so they interview the owner. Listen to what he says. And this is in quote, it's dead. It's very dead. Really? Is there not another term? I wrote, term? seriously, like, this is in quotes, man. I didn't make this shit up. Like, it's not very busy. It's or quiet. it's slow. But no, he was like, it's dead. It's very dead. I mean, come on. Can't you find some different words? It's interesting that he only shot members and didn't shoot any of the workers there. Like the bartender. I, and I think he just, like that one girl shot. made him mad. And I think he was like, oh, you made me mad. You made me mad. So, well, I don't really know. I I think he did choose his victims. So maybe maybe they just imagine, weren't around. Maybe they weren't within close can range. You imagine like the therapy that the workers would have to go through that they just watch people that they've been serving just shot like just just taken just taken out. It's got to be traumatic. It even said it says some of the regulars did drop by to show their support, but it was just too hard for people to be in there. They said it said um and the owners started wondering if their business was going to be able to survive this. And they also didn't let photographers in. And there was a reporter that snuck in, was sitting at the bar, and they asked him to leave. So they, there's not a lot of, I mean, there are some pictures of the event when it happened. Not inside, but like inside before and like outside when they're like uh, taking people away. But there's not, there weren't a lot of pictures. Like I don't even have pictures of all the victims. I only got th- pictures of three of them. And that was like by chance, I Googled the right thing in the newspaper's articles and found it. Okay, so now we're at July 7th, which is just, what, a week later? Mm-hmm. He decides that he's going to plead insanity. And um, his attorney says, I think anyone accused of performing such a heinous act has to be insane. Um, he said, I believe from what I've been able to determine through my initial investigation, DeCrim had to be insane or had to have one huge, uh, had to have many mental, de- mental defects there's no way he knew what he was doing or understood the nature of the acts that he was performing. That's the bullshit. Uh, that is the <laughs> bullshit for sure. Uh, July 13th. So a week after. So he's, two weeks. Since so the two weeks since the shooting. He tries to commit suicide by slashing his left arm with a disposable razor. So they take him into the infirmary in the jail and um, it required his it required 18 stitches, so that must have been pretty bad. I mean, that's a lot of stitches. That is a lot of stitches. His attorney said he was upset after being interrogated by investigators from 9 a.m. to 1.30 a.m. without counsel. So let me get this straight. He did not slit his wrist because he stole six lives from people. Or the fact that he's looking at life in prison. He's upset because they questioned him for, what, 15 hours? Without his attorney. Did he ask for his attorney? I don't know. Because if he didn't, they didn't have to bring his attorney. Yep. So they questioned him up until 1.30 a.m. And then at 7.15 that morning, they found him bleeding in his cell. Was he upset because he wasn't going to be able to get enough rest before he had to go to work the next day? I mean, what does he have to do <laughs> besides lay in his cell? Jail. <laughs> I mean. What are you doing today? Jail. <laughs> what are you doing tomorrow? Let me check More my jail. Calendar. Looks like. Looks like jail. Jail. Looks like jail until I die. Jail. It's like jail with like an arrow. It just goes. <laughs> jail with an infinity symbol. Perfect. There you go. So his attorney said, I think this is, incident was not only unfair, but unconstitutional. The PD knows that he is represented by counsel. I am that counsel. So he's going to, he's planning to file a motion concerning the interrogation because it violated his rights. And he said the problem with why they were being, why he was being interrogated is because the cops were trying to find out if the guy was a terrorist. Whoopsie. Why is that bad? I don't know that it's necessarily bad. It's just not what I would have expected. I mean, I mean, it does kind of make sense. I guess it kind of does. You know, because you have this person from another country that came over here illegally and then he, he marries someone 
gets citizenship. First thing he does is buy a gun. And, and then him and his wife are separated, so they're and not even together. It's not like he goes on a killing spree at some random place. He specifically chose this place with high, I was going to say um, high, high end, and he, they're not furniture. Um, high paying, Upscale. Upscale, very rich, bougie people. So the likelihood of someone famous or someone high in the court system or in the government system, legal system, would may frequent that place. And maybe he didn't know who that person was. Maybe. And maybe maybe the the need to kill, maybe he did have that itch. And so that's why maybe he was like, yeah, I'll do it. So I, I can see why they would put him in a I just didn't expect it. I mean, I don't know why I didn't expect it. I just didn't think of it when I read that. I was like, oh, that's not even what I was expecting them to be interrogating. But although... He admitted to doing it. It's not like he was trying to deny it. Mm-hmm. He admitted, like he he you know when they got him, he didn't fight him, and he said yes, I did it. So, but that kind of interrogation, I guess that would take a long time because I yeah. guess he didn't want to tell them anything. Well, and I don't know how the process goes whenever you become obviously um, when you switch over from being illegal to a, a legal alien, um, you know, because we're U.S. citizens. But like, mm-hmm. I wonder how much education they get on their rights, like. If police interrogate you, you have the right to ask for an attorney. And I know that he was probably Mirandized whenever he was arrested, but how much of the English language does he completely understand? I, you know, so I don't he may know. have not even known that he could ask for a lawyer. So I could see maybe him being upset about that. But I mean, cops use that to their advantage. Even of people course. like us that are from the U.S. Like if you don't know, you really shouldn't. Even if you're innocent, you really shouldn't talk to the cops. You should have an attorney there. Yeah. Because that's what happens to those young kids that are interrogated for 12 or 14 hours and Mm -hmm. at that point they'll just say whatever because they want to go home right Mm -hmm. so the parents or an attorney should be there not necessarily just to protect the cops but to protect yourself as well right even if you're innocent it doesn't mean that you're guilty if you want to talk to an attorney it means you just want to be careful and you want to protect yourself i don't know my rights as well as an attorney does and their job is to protect me and the law and i don't know i don't know you you don't know me i could be a bad person you could be a dirty cop so to protect both of us, we're going to get a middle, middle of the road, neutral person that's going to protect mm-hmm. my rights and make sure that you're doing your job. I can still answer your questions, but only with my lawyer present. Absolutely. And that way, if I'm not supposed to answer, he'll kick me under the table and I won't say a word. Right. <laughs> a few days later, um, his attorney, Ted, his name is Ted Khaleesi. He tells the, the reporters that he's going to be traveling to Belgium to gather information on his client that can be used in the insanity defense. He said he plans to go there to review medical records and interview witnesses because he said there's evidence that his client has a history of mental problems. I don't know why he has to drive all the way to Belgium, but or not drive. I don't know why. <laughs> That'd be, really be like, difficult. That's a really hard drive. It's not going to, you need a amphibious vehicle for that, but okay. I'll take a drink on that. Well, one. and he's from Morocco, right? Mm-hmm. But clearly he's also lived in Belgium. Okay, so now we're at the end of July. And for some reason, this corn, this corn, why do I keep saying corn? Because you talked about the corn. Corn and stained, yeah. And I can't stop thinking about it. Be a great So his attorney, Ted Khaleesi, resigns from the Dallas County Public Defender's Office and said he is no longer handling the Crims case. Why? Maybe because they didn't let him go to Belgium. I don't know. I made that up. I don't know. Oh, I was like, seriously? No. Is he just as, like, high maintenance as his client? I don't know. It said, um, he said he quit, but he could not provide details because of the judge's gag order. Um, He did say, and it's also possible that they could still retain him as the private attorney for the crim, but he said, I can't elaborate why I left. It was partially for personal reasons. That's all I can tell you. So for some reason, he resigned. So it's very curious, isn't it? Yeah. Now we're in early August, still of 1984. And it turns out that our friend Akrim was a fugitive from Belgium. Authorities say he has a police record that includes convictions, 13 assaults, one child beating, two involuntary hospitalizations for mental disorders and alcoholism, two jail terms, and one probated sentence. Now, how in the hell do you get over here if you have all that shit? Do we not do references in America? I guess not. Like, when you're, like, even jobs do references. But, like, you want to come live in the country? America's not like, hold on a second. Belgium? Yes, hi. This is a person wanting to apply to be in our nation. Do you have any warrants? 
perhaps? Do you have anything going on over there? Like, do we not do that? Maybe now we do. Maybe now we do. That's insane. That's not like, oh, just like a little minor incident. Yeah. That's, that's like, the, what, 16, a child beating? charges? A child beating? 13 assaults? Like, God, that sounds like he's got some violent behavior. Yeah. There's some violent patterns of behavior there. the need to, he wants to kill. Probably. Yeah. But he said, that it says that they don't, there was also some fraud. They don't know to what degree. But whether, if, but, but even if there was a tiny bit of fraud, he shouldn't have been admitted to the U.S. Because it said fraud alone is basis for deportation, much less all the other stuff that's on there. So, of course, this spawns an, a, a giant investigation by the U.S. State Department. A couple of weeks later, he finally gets a new attorney that his mom gets him. And this attorney is very high powered. His name is Frank Jackson. Frank Jackson was a football player at SMU and also played for several professional teams. Um, he represented a guy named Bob Hayes, who was a Dallas Cowboy receiver that was accused of drunk driving. He also represented Weldon Wells, who was a former Dallas school executive accused of fraud. So this guy is very, he knows he's not going to be a little whiny bitch like Ted Khaleesi. I feel like that's what <laughs> Ted Khaleesi was. I don't, that's probably not fair to you, but like I, you came across as a whiny bitch. That's all I can say. So that is August. So now we're in mid-October, and he's just been in, in loose stare at this whole time waiting for his trial. So he tells guys that work at the jail that he's going on a hunger strike. He's not going to eat any more food. He's, he's done. But then the jailers go into his cell, and they find a candy bar in there. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Oh, my God. This guy. So they're like, he hasn't. Oh, t- oh that's not mine. <laughs> that, that's Nick. And it was a Snickers bar. So they said he hasn't taken jail food for a couple or for two or three days, but we found a candy bar. We found a Snickers candy bar in his room. Well, he wasn't himself. The end of October, he enters his plea. What do you think he enters his plea as? Insanity. Not guilty. Innocent. Innocent. It doesn't say by reason of insanity. He just is claiming innocent. I guess he's going to, I'm sure his attorney told him, just say that. We'll figure it out. Somebody put a Snickers bar in my cell. Yeah. It wasn't mine. Okay, early November, the trial finally begins. Prosecutors, of course, the first people that they put on the witness stand are the relatives of the victims. I mean, that's that's a good call. The Gloria Edge, who is the mother of Linda Lowe, she's like they were showing pictures and she's crying, saying, that's my baby. Mm. Um, and then John McNeil, who was the guy that was shot that survived, he testified saying that, so you know how they ask you, is the person that shot you in the court? Mm-hmm. He had trouble identifying him. Because when when DeCrim was in the bar, he had like a really thick black toupee and nobody knew it was a toupee. So when you see pictures of him in court, he's like balding and has this little little wiry gray hairs on the side. And of course, his mustache wasn't dyed to match the black toupee. So he barely recognized him. That's messed up. I mean, Mm -hmm. at least he was able to point him out. But still, that's that's messed up. Yeah. Uh, Let's see. So He had strong toupee gain. Yeah, because when you see the but now the they're in black and white, but it it if they hadn't told me if I hadn't read that it was a toupee, I would have never guessed it. Like it looks very natural. So another guy, his name is Terry Rippa. He was a waiter. Um, he testified that the one of the victims, Marcel Ford, which is the girl that he talked to first, they were talking and she pushed him away from him, away from her because he was coming onto her. He left the bar. A few minutes later, came back, stood behind her. And he said, I've had enough. I've had enough with you. Pulled out his gun. He pointed it. And she looked back and said, no, Pierre, because, you know, that was one of his nicknames, Pierre. And he's got another one that they reference later on. Then he just started shooting. And she, he said he just worked his way methodically along the U-shaped bar, picking people off their bar stools and started shooting just right in a row. So he goes back, goes to his car, gets more rounds, and then comes back and starts shooting again. So whatever he shot her with must have emptied his clip at the time. Mm-hmm. And then he leaves, comes back, and then starts shooting again. And they said he was so cool. And I don't mean like in a, in a good way, but like they said from, from the minute he started until the minute he finished, he said, this guy said, I thought the bullets weren't real. I thought it was fake because he wasn't angry. There were no signs of anger in his face. He was just like cool, calm, and collected. Just like not, no emotion on his face. No anger, no sadness. Yeah, that's what spooked me the whole, I was like, oh my God. The guy, he, this, this guy said, I thought it was a joke because he didn't look angry. He wasn't yelling. He was just shoot, shoot, shoot. And he was so precise in his shooting that it was just like, except for the one guy he shot four times in the chest. 
on the left side. Mm -hmm. um, and then Richard Dahlem, who was a Rolls Royce dealer, he was a regular, said that he saw DeCrim walk briskly across the parking lot, fire once at a waiter that was running off, and then drove off in his white station wagon. Okay. It's crazy, isn't it? This mm -hmm. is a good one. Okay, so that was November 3rd. So November 8th, DeCrim gets on, on the stand, right? So he gets to testify on his behalf. So he says, actually, he doesn't testify. His psychologist testifies for him, recounting all of the stuff they talked about when he was being evaluated. And so he said that he was having an affair with two of the victims. The first one he shot, Marcel, and the other one named Linda. So he said he was having an affair with both of them. On the evening of the shootings, DeCrim told his psychologist that one of the women invited him to Ioni's to discuss a job as a chauffeur of exotic cars. Um, but then when he approached the woman, she blew him off in a very clear and sharp way. And he said in the Arab culture, where women are considered property, that is a big no-no. Mm. And they were saying, his psychologist is saying, that's what caused him to react the way he did because he lost control. Mm -hmm. Like that in I mean, his I can, culture, I, I can understand that. people would, he would be reduced to nothing by other people if they saw women treating him that way. Even though the people in our society wouldn't. They'd no. be like, girl, get it. Yeah. Do you need right. backup? Girl, we're right here. Yeah. You'd let us know. But I'm sure it's hard for him. Like, it'd be hard for me to turn that off yeah. being in another country, but being raised a certain way. Yep. Not that it's okay, but I can It's see definitely not okay, why, but I mean... But he would see that as disrespect. So other witnesses said that DeCrim and Marcel Ford had, were having a conversation and it was very animated and that she did push him away. Uh, and then on cross-examination, the DA questioned both the psychologist and DeCrim about the validity of everything that King was saying. Like, so you're saying that it's his culture, but... The only source of this information is the defendant himself. Like, you can't back any of this shit up. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I just, I'm just supposed to believe you? Like, come on. The psychologist said that DeCrim also may have been in culture shock when he was arrested in Belgium 11 times for assaults between 1965 and 67. And so the DA said, so he spent so many years in a Kuwaiti prison for robbery. So how is he going to be in culture shock if he's been exposed? Ex if he's been exposed to all these crazy things, like you would think he'd be able to handle it because he's been through a lot of shit. Right. 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 So again, it, it doesn't hold up. Right. It's very, very flimsy. Um, so there was another witness on the defense, um, a different psychologist, Kevin Carlson said that DeCrim suffered brain damage that prevented him from knowing the shootings were wrong. He said that DeCrim told him that he suffered the brain damage when he, because when he was 10, he emulated something he saw that was an African right uh, by slamming an axe into his own skull. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. So you hear that that's an African rite of passage, and so you're just going to do it? So he did. He slammed an axe into his skull. Uh, years later, DeCrim was severely beaten by employees of the Moroccan in embassy in Lucerne, Switzerland. Um, they said that DeCrim uh, is a paranoid schizophrenic and has psychotic personality with organic brain damage and has an IQ of 70. Six. Mm -hmm. That's pretty low. It's pretty low. His wife also testified that her husband was a powder keg ready to go off. She said, I knew this man was sick enough to kill. I was begging people for help, but I didn't have the money for treatment. That's the bottom line. Fair enough. Uh, and so the DA gets up there to cross-examine her and says, well, didn't you tell me the night of the murder when we questioned you that her husband isn't crazy. He's a no good revengeful, revengeful. And she cut him off and she said, I didn't say any of that. I deny all of that. Probably because he can hear what she said. He's right there. Right. Yeah. And if he gets off, she doesn't want to be killed. Right. And she also, she, he, he said, what about the story you told me that you told a friend that you spend thousands of dollars on Charlie, which is another nickname. So now he's Pierre, Charlie, DeCrim. It's a big mess. Um, that she spent lots of money for clothing and membership in private clubs so he could meet rich women. So she knew, obviously, that he was cheating. Having right. Affairs. But she denied that, too. She said, no, I didn't say that. He's making stuff up. Clearly, they both think there's a possibility that he's going to be able to escape this. Mm -hmm. But I think that's really false, false hope on their part. So November 16th, they he's sentenced to six 
consecutive life sentences. Good. Yes. The jury deliberated for six hours before rejecting his insanity plea and returning the seven guilty verdicts. Good. And then the panel spent another hour deliberating punishment, which was life in prison. So on the very next day, the families, so they're, they say that this guy is the worst mass murder in Dallas history. But of course, again, this was in 84. It's probably not the case anymore. But the, the victim's families are planning to lobby the Texas legislature. Les's, I knew I was going to fuck that up. <clears throat> the victim's, damn it. The victim's families, families are planning to lobby the Texas legislature to make multiple slangs a capital crime. So November 18th, so the very next day. So this guy is in jail saying, I'm going to be out on the streets in two months. And he predicted that his life was going to be chronicled in a book, in a movie. He He just thinks he's like the next narcissist, the biggest narcissist ever. Um, So the officials at Lou Starrett said that he scanned the newspapers every day, saved articles about himself and the shootings. He was also the subject of the most intense security measures at the jail since Jack Ruby. Mm. They said that he believed he would be exonerated after his wife hired Frank Jackson and told how he planned to divide the royalties from the book and movie uh, about his life with his current wife, his former wife in Europe and himself. So he's going to split it between all three of them. And the jail employees had to work 24 hours a day to make sure that he wasn't hurt by another prisoner because there were many people in the jail threatening his life. And then of course, after his suicide attempt, they had to watch him 24 seven. So it was a full-time job. He was like living the life. Wasn't he the freaking diva? Yeah. And that's what he wanted too. And I think that's one thing, like, I know, especially with social media now, I know that we as the people need to know, like, what's going on in the world, but we don't realize some of these criminals get off by seeing their information all over the headlines. They absolutely do. And it's so sick. Yeah, like, absolutely. I mean, what are we supposed to do? Like, we have to tell people what's going on. And I mean, know? we do have to tell. And and we have a whole podcast about it. Yeah. And we get frustrated when there's not enough information. We're like, well, damn it. Yeah, I, right? I couldn't answer this. So we're adding that. to it. But at the same time, we're, we try to form our stories to where we focus on the victims right. because they're the ones that pay the ultimate and price. And not all criminals are like that. No. But it's, it's sad no. how criminals like that that are so full of themselves and even like the bathtub killer like wanted to watch himself on the mm-hmm. news. You know, like, that's so creepy, you know? I know. Uh-uh. Mm-mm. So the jailers said that it put a tremendous sprain strain on their operations. Um, and they said the county hadn't had to provide that much security since way back when Ruby was in jail. And so the guy that they're interviewing, his name is Major Bob Knowles. He, he cracked me up. Um, he said, from the day of his arrest, DeCrim had his own cell, which he kept meticulous. He had, he had his own shower. He was kept in the infirmary ward because it was easier to isolate him from the other 2,000 inmates. They received reports of many threats against his life. He said nothing, we wanted to make sure nothing was going to happen to jeopardize his coming to trial. And we did it that way for his protection and ours. And then, of course, as DeCrim became more accustomed to his surroundings, his demands increased. He said he got to have the limelight. He wanted attention. He constantly tried to manipulate the system, and he was good at it. They said in one incident, he faked a heart attack. I wish I could have seen that. (laughs) He once refused to wear a pair of jail coveralls because they had stains on them. He refused to eat his food if it was served on a paper plate instead of plastic. Knowles said the jail's officials decided to transfer him to state prison two hours after he was sentenced. He said, <laughs> we wanted to get him out of here as fast as we could so we could get back to normal. We had enough of him. Can we get a rush on that van, please? <laughs> now, 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 now. Oh, man. So November 20th, another shooting at a bar in Dallas. A 61-year-old man walked into a Northwest Dallas bar, opened fire on patrons with a high-powered rifle, killing one and wounding five. I didn't get his name, but still, like, this guy's just finishing his trial. It's being transferred to state prison, and another one happens. I didn't get the name of the bar or anything like that. Maybe that's another story for another day. Okay, so now we're at the end of November. Um, a state district judge has denied a motion for a new trial for DeCrim. But defense attorney Frank Jackson said he would appeal the conviction, challenging the constitutionality of the law, which did not allow the defense to tell jurors what would happen 
to decrim if he were found guilty by reason of insanity. Uh, he said, I'm going to do the appeal myself. I want to get a shot at the law. I wasn't really sure. So is he saying that because they did not tell the jurors that if in the event he pleaded insanity and he got it, this is what would have happened to him? Is that maybe, what they're saying? Maybe that's what they're saying. Okay, but they don't ever do that. Like, they don't ever do that. You're right. Hello, jurors. There are 70 other ways he could have pled. And if he pled this way, they're not going to do that. They're not going to go through the whole line of no. that. He's just trying to... He's just trying to find a way to put him in trial again. But, I mean, there was no doubt that he did it. Whether and... and Well, and isn't the justice system about convicting the person that is responsible without a reasonable... Without without reasonable reasonable doubt that this person did it. Okay, you have more than enough overwhelming evidence that he did it. So, I see without a reasonable doubt that he did it. So, why even let him have an appeal? He admitted that he did it. Now we're early December... There, uh, a, there was, there's a bill that's been created to extend the death penalty to mass murderers that will be heard and pushed really hard in the 1985 legislature. So Good. they're working hard to update, to change the, the requirements. Good. So early January, so it's January 4th, 1985. So spokesman Charles Brown said decrim was transferred from maximum security East Thumb unit to an infirmary in Huntsville after he told guards he had not eaten for 12 to 14 days. He just been, he only had Snickers. I guess he didn't, I don't, maybe he doesn't consider Snickers foods, but this is in quotes. I don't like the food here and I don't want to be assigned to this unit. Well, you don't get a choice. You're in prison. I'm glad you don't like the food. I'm glad you don't like it there because that means you're actually means, paying the price for what you did. That means jail's doing its job. Yeah. Because it's not, you're not supposed to be having fun there. No. You're not, you're in federal prison and Texas don't give a shit if you like your food or not. Okay. Maybe if you didn't do so many people wrong, you'd have money on your commissary and you could buy yourself some ramen noodles and some Snickers. Well, it's funny that you say that because Brown said that the crim told him he wanted to get money out of a bank in Dallas to spend at the prison commissary. Go ahead, sister. Spend it at the prison commissary so he could get personal items. Like Snickers. Yeah. And he also complained about not having a razor or cigarettes, even though... The spokesman said he's had both. Well, and he is he, can he be trusted with razors? Look what he did the last time he had a razor. 18 stitches later. Yeah. And at this point, I don't think anybody cares if he commits suicide because Just save our time he's, yeah, we, they wanted him to, you know, go on trial for what he did and now you can do whatever you want. Yeah. So January 10th of 1985, John McNeil, which was the only person that survived, uh, filed a damage claim against the U.S. Immigration and Naturalization Service alleging that they should not have let him in the country and they because he was shot in the back. He was shot in the back as he ran out of the club. Mm-hmm. He's still, at this point, they said he still has tr- trouble with his left side, and so he's se- seeking an unspecified amount of damages from the INS. I don't blame him, man, because this either. guy should not have been here. No. He should not have been here. No. And um, those crimes were done before he came here as a citizen, or illegally, and then became a citizen. So... We should have checked references. I thought we did background checks on people, but I guess maybe he just, and I'm sure, I mean, I know there are lots of them and I'm not saying that that job is easy, but if your job is that important, you need to take it seriously. Yeah, because you you cost up on one person and look at the history he had. Look at the damage he caused Mm -hmm. and what he did to our people, our American people on our soil. That, so she pissed him off. That 61 year old guy that went and did it, maybe he just needed the courage and the idea. So not only did you take six people from this world, but then you gave somebody else the idea or the, um, motivation. Yeah. To go take six more people. Mm-hmm. Yep. John McNeil's attorney contends that the federal government is liable for McNeil's injuries, his disability, his loss of wages, because a proper investigation would have uncovered the crimes past and would have prevented him from coming into the country. I, I so agree with 100% accurate. Okay. So now, uh, end of April, 1985, uh, DeCrim's dad wrote a letter of condolence to the families of his son's victims. Wow. The letter was passed on by a reporter from ABC's 2020 who met DeCrim's father in Morocco while preparing a report on the mass shooting for an upcoming segment of the television program. That is, now, that is so DeKind. I, <laughs> I didn't know there was a 2020 special on it and I couldn't find it. Hmm. So see if you can find it. Um, I wanted to watch it before, but I, and that's what I was doing when I told you I had a little bit more research Mm -hmm. to do. I went and tried to find it and I couldn't find it. 
And this is a quote from Jan, Jan Smith's sister. It says, it helps a little bit to know someone else is still thinking about it after all this time. Uh, she said, I feel for his parents because I know what they must be going through to think their son can do such a heinous act. Linda Lowe's mother said, he wanted for me to have this letter and try it in his own way to express love and kindness. It goes to show us that other people's hearts can be broken too, and I appreciate this precious soul writing this letter. Ronnie Ford, who is Marcel Ford's brother, who was the first woman that got shot, he says, it was nice of him to do, but it doesn't take away what's been done. We're still just trying to get by. That's the thing, you know, like when you when when someone you love is taken in such a way, justice is served in the sense that the justice system did their job and the person is punished. But you never really have justice because the person you love isn't going to come back. Nope. That void is going to be there. And justice in your family will never be served. Every Christmas, person, every birthday, yeah. and e- any, every, any memory, everything. You know, like I think of like you or like Chrissy or Heidi or mom, like the, the random things, the random things that make me think of you throughout the day. Like I can't imagine them just being gone. Yeah. And even though you know like, oh, that person's rotting in hell. Yeah, but... He has three meals a day, whether he chooses to eat them or not. He has a bed. <laughs> They're you subpar know? in his opinion. <laughs> he has a life. He can live. Yeah. My person can't, you know? Okay. So June 2nd, 1986, Ioni's restaurant was closed for the evening, and police reported smoke coming from the building around 7 p.m. So it caught on fire. No one was injured, uh, but it did cause around $200,000 worth of damage. And the fire was primarily confined to the bar area. Um, I thought that was interesting to that put in there. Texas capital murder uh, rules. So it's been updated. And I couldn't find what they actually changed in 1985 because every time I clicked, it was like like a rabbit hole. It kept mm-hmm. taking me other places. So here are the, here are the, here's the criteria. As for 2021? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, the person murders a peace officer fireman who is acting in official duty. The person intentionally commits the murder in the course of committing or attempting to commit kidnapping, burglary, sexual assault, arson. Oh, damn it. Hold on. Damn it. Sexual assault, arson, obstruction or retaliation or terroristic threat. The person commits or solicits a murder for hire. The person commits the murder while escaping or attempting to attempting to escape from a penal institution, not penal, penal. Mm-hmm. The person while incarcerated murders another person. Here's the one. The person murders more than one person. So I feel like that's probably the one that was added. Mm-hmm. Uh, the person murders a person aged 10 years old or younger or the person murders another person involved in service with the ju- judis- judici- judicial system. Ju- yeah. Like a judge or yeah. a court. Okay. Yeah. It looks like we updated it. Good job, Texas. Yeah, I, it sounds really like good. we were one of the last states to do it because some of the articles I read were like, Texas need to fall in line mm-hmm. with other states. Um, we're just so used to like killing them back that we guess we weren't really paying much attention. <laughs> right. Um, and I do, I don't know. We, so... Um, DeCrim died of natural causes while in custody in the Clements unit in Amarillo, Texas in 2017. So he died in prison. Too many Snickers bars. You know it. It's probably not the worst anymore, but at the time, at the time it was, it was, and we had never had anything like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that is the story of Abdelkrim Belakob. That's the crazy. That's (laughs) DeCrim. So let me go back up here. So do you have any questions? What do you think? Did you like it? I do like it. I It makes me so mad. I mean, I've always enjoyed the fact that our country is like a mixing bowl and we have different cultures because I think it's good for people to understand how other cultures work mm-hmm. because I think it's an ignorant way of living to not know any other way because if you ever travel to, if you ever travel to another country, you wouldn't understand their culture and respect them. Just like... People come over here. We want them to respect our culture. They can still live the way they want to live, disrespect how we live, you yep. know? And so it makes me sad that during this time, we did not do our due diligence when it came to selecting people's approval for living in our country. Because I this agree. could have been prevented yep. completely had we done our homework. Yep. I agree. It's that's sad. Uh, That's the saddest part, I think. And I feel like 
Because, you know, a lot of countries think America's dumb. So I feel like he came over here knowing that he wouldn't get caught and he could, it was that he couldn't do it in Belgium, he got caught. Couldn't do it in Morocco, he'd probably get caught. But I'll come to America and I'll sm- I'll smooth over these women, right? Because maybe he thought he was Rico Suave. And I think he thought this was the place he could fill that need. Yeah. And that makes me even more mad. Yeah. I, I, he, I do agree with you in that he was very arrogant and he probably made a lot of assumptions about Americans and that he could um, sweet talk people into doing whatever he wanted them to do. Mm-hmm. You know, he wanted this posh lifestyle, but he didn't want to do the hard work it took to, because I didn't say it, but like the, the day that it happened, he was a, he was working as a waiter and he wanted to move up, but they like, didn't want to move him up. Right. I don't know what the details were. He was probably, were. I mean, imagine how he was in prison and with his lawyer. I'm Can sure you he imagine? was the same way at work. Yeah, and that he probably like, wanted oh, to be... Oh, I can't wear this outfit. Right, it's too itchy. right, or your food, whatever. So basically he went earlier that day or the day before. He had gone to the place where he worked, somewhere in Addison, picked up, dropped off his uniform, picked up his paycheck, and quit. So Christina, she's the one that suggested it. So thank you for that. Yeah, good pick. So let's... Uh, rest in peace, Marcel Ford, Janice Smith, Linda Lowe, Ligia Kozlowski, Frank Parker, and Joseph Manassi. Super sad. Yep. That's it. That's a wrap. All right. That's a wrap. Yep. So until next time. Till next time. All right. Bye, y'all. Bye, y'all.